Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing, the show where busy people like you learn how to build substantial passive income while creating wealth for the long term. And now, here's your host, Marco Santarelli. Hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode of Passive Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Marco Santarelli. You know, property insurance provides protection against most risks to property, such as fire, theft, and some weather damage. These include specialized forms of insurance, such as building insurance, content insurance, fire insurance, flood insurance, and even earthquake insurance. They say prevention is better than cure. The cost of property insurance often depends on what it would cost to replace the property and which additional items to be insured are attached to that policy. The insurance policy itself is a lengthy contract, as you probably know, and the names on that contract determine who the beneficiaries are, and it also specifies what will and will not be covered or paid in the case of various events. So today, let's explore some of the basics and nuances of property insurance, as well as some of the uncommon or even strange scenarios with my guest today. But first, let's have a quick word from our sponsor. My friend MC Lobsher, the host of Cashflow Ninja podcast and president of Producers Wealth, is on a mission to help you achieve financial independence as soon as possible. He achieves this by integrating the infinite banking concept and real estate investing to increase your financial efficiency and recapture cash flow that you're not even aware you're losing. MC shares the number one strategy investors use in his holistic wealth creation course at yourownbankingsystem.com. That's yourownbankingsystem.com. All right, it's my pleasure to welcome Ed Babkus to the show. Ed is the founder of Ross Diversified Insurance Services, and they are licensed pretty much nationwide. The last count was in 49 states, so let's just call that the entire nation at this point. And they insure thousands of properties all around the United States. They're investors themselves, which is kind of refreshing because a lot of insurance agents out there do not buy property, invest themselves. So they fully recognize the needs of customized insurance for real estate investors. With that, Ed, welcome to the show. Thanks. Enjoying the opportunity. Hey, it's great having you back. I think we had you, what, three years ago on the show, something like that? Seems like it's been a while and certainly a refresher is overdue. Yeah, no kidding. Well, let's kind of cover some of the basics when it comes to insurance. And then from that, we'll talk about some of the more uncommon or strange scenarios that come up with insurance that we didn't talk about last time. And, you know, as you told me, it's not what you know, but it's what you don't know that you should know about insurance. So, um, it again, it's all about what you need to know. So let's start with the most fundamental and basic thing. And that is the question of, you know, how much insurance should an investor have in place? Really, it's more about what kinds of insurance should they have in place? Let's start with that. Well, the, the type of insurance is uh, commonly referred to as an owner-landlord-tenant policy or a uh, simply a, a single-family rental insurance policy where the investor who buys the property, this is not his home, so it's not a homeowner's policy. It has different exposures in regards to liability through a tenant. It has different exposures with uh, people who may break into the property because it may be vacant in between occupancies. So commonly in the industry is called an owner landlord tenant policy, OLT uh, would be an acronym. And investors who are buying properties need to have something that protects their interest uh, much more comprehensively 
than just something that uh, is plain vanilla. Okay. So we often, let, let's kind of break down the different types of insurance. You've got, you've got your property insurance, then you have liability insurance, and then you have rental loss insurance. Don't go into a lot of depth with these. Just kind of break down the landscape, if you will, of, of insurance coverage. Great, great uh, way to outline the, the discussion. So the house itself, it burns down. That's a property insurance claim or a property insurance coverage if it gets vandalized. If something happens to the property, uh, you know, windstorm, hailstorm, et cetera, that would be the property coverage attached to that policy. The second component, the easy one that you mentioned, loss of rents. If a tenant is forced to move out as a result of a covered peril, that hailstorm that takes the roof off the house or that windstorm or the fire, and the tenant physically can't inhabit that property, then there's a component called loss of rents, and that would pay the monthly rent until the home is reconstructed back to where it is habitable. Not right. when it's occupied by the tenant, because the tenant may have gone on to somewhere else, but when it's habitable, again, for someone else to move into that property. The third component is the liability coverage. And all three of these, by the way, are what lenders require for those financing their investment properties. All lenders are looking for the same type of coverage, replacement costs for the structure, loss of rents in case something happens to the property, forcing the tenant to move, and then the last component being liability. Someone gets hurt on that property and unfortunately the owner gets sued. Uh, a crack in the driveway and you get out of the car on an icy driveway and you, you fall, that would be something that would be covered under the liability policy. Uh, so there's, there's many liability scenarios. You have a tenant with a dog and, the, the, and there's a dog bite situation. We do have dog bite coverage, for example on our liability coverage. So lenders are looking for those three components and we put all three of those components in a very competitive uh, packaged replacement cost policy fashion. Okay. Getting to replacement cost is, uh, a lot of people hear the terms actual cash value and they hear replacement cost and they're not necessarily sure how to attach meaning to either one. In the space that we're speaking of, the investor-owned properties, actual cash value, in fact, even on your own homeowner's policy, means we are subtracting out depreciation in the event of a claim. So you have an older property that you bought, it was maybe mildly rehabbed, you have a tenant in there, but maybe it was built in 1950, 1960, the adjuster is going to go out there and they're going to use Marshall Swift Beck or MSB. It's a very common uh, software, kind of like a Kelly Blue Book for houses, if you will, and they're going to have a depreciation component to that loss, and they're going to subtract those that depreciation component along with the deductible from your claim proceeds, and that can reduce the claim proceeds significantly. Lenders recognize this, and lenders will not even accept actual cash value policies. And with our Ross, I'm not trying to be self-serving at every opportunity, but Ross and my competitors as well, will 99% of the time only offer replacement cost policies. That way it satisfies lender requirements. That way there's not problems in the event of a claim. Now, all that said, there is one caveat. Even on replacement cost policies, there is a condition that you have to rebuild the property. If you do not rebuild the property, then the settlement clause will say 
the claim is settled at actual cash value. And the way you get that depreciation component back is when you rebuild the property on the replacement cost coverage. So if that wasn't clear, you can slow me down and we can we can readdress it. No, that's pretty straightforward. Actual cash value is you're saying what is the actual value of this property? So if that's a, a later point in time, you have to deduct whatever the depreciation is. And I'm sure that follows a formula in the insurance industry as to how they calculate depreciation over time. But the you know, that kind of begs the question if I just purchased another property today and I need to determine what kind of insurance coverage I want in terms of property insurance, do I go with replacement cost or do I go with actual cash value? And then there's really a part B to this question. If you think about it, let's say five years from now or 10 years from now, when I've had depreciation taken off of that property, I mean, it's, it's, it's legitimately calculated. Do I change my policy down the road from let's say, actual cash value today to replacement cost tomorrow? Great, great question. And the way that you framed it is excellent. So the first half of that is if you're getting the property financed, again, most lenders won't even allow you the opportunity to go actual cash value. Hmm. There is a formula. Um, it's usually uh, look at a lifetime to a home of 70 years is what the calculations generally are, are computed on. So if you've remodeled that home and effectively that 1950s house is really a 2018 home because you just redid the roof, you just redid the electrical, you just redid the wiring, you put in all the cosmetics of new flooring, new cabinets, the effective date of that home truly is 2018. Maybe they'll depreciate the studs in the wall a little bit, but for all intents and purposes, you can demonstrate that this is relatively a new home, so the depreciation component will not be that big of a deduction. And I say that because when you talk about, am I going to switch my coverages over, uh, again, being redundant, if it's lender financed, you don't even have that option. They're going to require the replacement cost. But secondly, your home may only have a small depreciation component after five years or seven years. And it's not like you're going to redo the pipes all over again if there's no need to do so. So the depreciation deduction would be very small and there would be no reason to even get into a mental decision. Do I switch coverages or don't I switch coverages? So does that, does that basically say that as time goes on, there's more and more of a case to be made to get actual cash value or replacement cost, I should say, as time goes on? Well, with replacement costs, the intent that most investors has is to rebuild that property and get that rent coming back in as soon as possible. And they would get the loss of rents during such time as it takes to rebuild the property. So the actual cash value component gets, uh, gets reduced and diminished more and more and more because it's really not even a component of the calculation of what that investor's mindset is. So actual cash value is if you're going to walk away from the property you have no intention to rebuild and you just want a bare bones settlement and you're going to sell the place as is maybe do another fix and flipper or a contractor who's going to clear the lot and start all over again and you take your actual cash value uh, settlement and you walk away but the replacement cost doesn't have to be modified every year because the depreciation deduction on a year to year to year basis is very small it, it's very small it comes into play 
when you have an older home that's never been remodeled and it's never been touched and you're going to walk away from the property if it burns down. It's almost like a throwaway asset, if you will. And you're going to take your minimal settlement and you'll be done. So I, I would assume that replacement cost goes up over time, whereas actual cash value goes down over time. Replacement cost can be adjusted by the investor of the property to increase it uh, should they choose, but it's really going to be on what the condition of the property is. So for example, we use a $65 a square foot component to calculate coverage amount, which is one of the things we're going to talk about is how do I come up with coverage amounts? In most homes, uh, we call them Home Depot houses. Uh, they're they're not uh, three-inch granite kitchen counters. Mm -hmm. They're not uh, four-inch thick plush carpeting. They're not customized uh, cabinets uh, in the bathrooms and in the kitchen. It's something that you're simply going to go in. If you need a toilet, you're going to go to Home Depot. If you need a kitchen cabinet replaced, you're going to go right. to Home Depot. So most of the turnkey providers we work with are very comfortable with 65 bucks a square foot. We may get into certain pockets in the country where we suggest you talk to your turnkey provider and maybe you get 75 bucks a square foot or 80 bucks a square foot to, uh, to make sure you have enough to rebuild the property in certain areas where the properties may be more expensive than a traditional type of rental property. Sure. So that replacement cost is pretty much set when you first close your loan and the coverage is first issued. The need to increase that coverage as time goes by really isn't there on a rental property. On a homeowner's, it might be because you're doing subtle upgrades and you're increasing the value of the property. But on a rental property, it stays pretty flatlined. It's not really getting a lot of needed rehabs or upgrades along the way as perhaps, again, you would do with your own home. So the coverage amount stays pretty stagnant once it's established when you first buy the property. Okay, so let's talk about coverage. How much coverage should an investor carry on their property? What What is kind of the rule of thumb or advice you would give an investor? I'll start with the easy stuff. And again, it's uh, it's helps that it's lender-driven to a large degree. And I don't want to use that as a default, but the, the common sense behind what the lenders are requiring uh, work well whether you own the property uh, free and clear. So loss of rents. This is all about cash return on your investment. And if something happens to that property and that tenant is forced to move out, you still want that income coming in. Right. And loss of rents is relatively cheap. It's maybe $50, $60 a year for 12 months loss of rents. So that keeps the cash flow coming while you're rebuilding the property should something happen to it and the tenant is no longer paying rent. So 12 months loss of rents is pretty standard coverage. We talked about the three coverages. I'm gonna to go to the liability component next. The liability, most lenders require 1 million per occurrence, 2 million aggregate. So what does that mean? People aren't familiar with that terminology. 1 million per occurrence, someone flips, uh, slips and falls, the most the carrier is gonna pay on any one occurrence or any one claim is a million dollars. Aggregate means the summation of. So the most the lender will pay in any one calendar year is $2 million. That coverage generally runs about 150 bucks a year. So relative to the amounts that I'm speaking of, a million and two million of coverage, it's a component of the insurance, but it's nothing uh, astronomical. So that would be the liability component of coverage amount. And again, many lenders require 1 million per occurrence, 2 million aggregate, if I own the place free and clear, 
I certainly want one million uh, per occurrence and two million aggregate. I don't even want to play with it. Right. Uh, maybe because I'm in California and everybody's so crappy. Uh, so happy, <laughs> crappy, yes. So happy here as well. <laughs> and as a consequence, I want to protect my wallet. And that one million, two million occurrence list, uh, one million occurrence, two million aggregate lets me sleep at night very well. Uh, the final component, the coverage for the property itself. And this is where we truly do encourage discussion with the people you are buying the property from. Again, we're at 65 bucks a square foot. So uh, if I'm in Memphis and I have a thousand square foot home, I'm gonna take a thousand times 65 and I'm gonna put $65,000 of coverage on that property. And most of the turnkey providers we work with in Memphis are very, very comfortable with that amount. Uh, parts of Ohio, parts of Missouri type of thing. But if I go into a slightly higher, maybe BA neighborhood, mm -hmm. then maybe I want to go up to 75 or 80 bucks a square foot because maybe the insides of the property have been upgraded a little bit. Right. Maybe there is a granite <laughs> countertop in the kitchen. Maybe there is some upgraded fixtures, light fixtures in the home. Maybe it's one step above a Home Depot house. And that's the discussion to have with the turnkey provider because you want enough money to rebuild the property in the event of a claim. And you're not talking about major dollars that are going to detract from your rate of return. Every investor has their ROI. They want to see their cash flow. They, if it's 7.25, it better be 7.25 when I buy this thing. And why is the insurance making it 7.18 all of a sudden? You want to be careful that you don't over zone in on that rate of return to where it can cost you some money in the event of a claim. Insurance premiums are pretty reasonable. Most turnkey providers are right on the money with their forecast of insurance estimate, but have a little discussion. And if you have to pay 10 bucks more for the insurance policy, right. don't, don't worry about it. It's yeah, you don't dollars. want to be penny wise and pound foolish when it comes to insurance. It, it, the, the incremental cost is so small to increase the amount of coverage that it is a smart business decision to have that extra coverage because the difference is so small. It, it's, it's minimal. It's minimal. I agree with you completely. So, so we're talking about deductible amounts here. And so what do you recommend in terms of deductibles when it comes to property coverage? Uh, the programs that we offer have a $2,500 minimal deductible, and we do that for a few different reasons. Claim frequency can get you your policies canceled. Uh, dollar claim amounts can get your policies canceled. The insurance companies are in business not to lose money. Let's, let's be honest about what we're talking about here. If they lost money, they wouldn't be offering the product. And we have to have competitive rates. So we have a $2,500 deductible. What this means is all the nuisance claims, the hot water heater breaks, and it creates a little $1,500 drywall damage in the garage, we're not gonna cover. Uh, an AC unit on the side of the home that might get stolen, we're not gonna cover type of thing. Usually those things run about 1,500 and another 500 to install. So the nuisance claims brings that overall premium down. And as a consequence, a lot of that is driven by that $2,500 deductible. We have many investors that want to take the premium down further. They'd have $5,000 and $10,000 deductibles that we offer and we provide. But 90% of the lenders out there won't accept anything greater than a $2,500 deductible. A $1,000 deductible, what we have found, doesn't make a lot of sense. Because just to get a claims adjuster out to the property is a $750 bill. 
So right away, the insurance carrier is spending money just to get someone out there to write a report to look at the property. That's why claim frequency is a bearing of rates in this business. Right. If you're calling the carrier because two shingles <laughs> flew off the roof and they're calling the carrier because one of the bathroom toilets overflowed and it did $400 of damage to the flooring, two things are going to happen. Your rates are going to go up and or you're going to get canceled. So we've come at it with you're an investor. It's an investor insurance policy. And that's why we settled in on the $2,500 deductible. What, what is affecting the insurance rates? What is it based on? It, it, obviously, uh, it, the deductible is one factor. The deductible is one factor, a, a big factor. A second major factor is geographical location of the property. Right. If I'm in uh, Florida along the Gulf, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, I now have a hurricane risk component. And that wind component is huge. But that's so an extra rate, coverage. That's an additional uh, coverage. It's not necessarily additional coverage. In California, we cover wind. In uh, Memphis, I go back to there because we insure so much in, in the Tennessee area. In Ohio, we cover, we cover wind as part of our normal coverage. But when you're in the states that have that hurricane risk, and we see the billions, literally billions, that are being paid out, unfortunately, almost annually these days by the carriers, that wind-driven damage gets a surcharge. Mm. And that's why the Gulf properties have substantially higher rates. And you ask what's a component of rate, and certainly the geographical coverage does it. We're now going to see that in California. All the brush fires, all the, the remote right. locations in the northern part of the state in particular, uh, that, that horrible tragedy that, that stuck the paradise. You have 6,000 houses, literally a whole town for all intents and purposes destroyed. The insurance carriers are getting more sensitive to uh, the the perils, the, the major, major catastrophes that are starting to occur a little bit more regularly. And no, I'm not getting political and going on to climate change, folks. That's, that's yeah. not where I'm at here. <laughs> I'm just saying you don't have to be a genius to see what's happened in Houston with all the flooding, the wildfires in California, and all the damages along the Gulf and the coast states. And uh, the insurance carriers are now getting more specific on where those rates are going up. Right. And hailstorm, which never used to be a big component of rate, is all of a sudden becoming very real. Uh, in um, Atlanta, for example, we probably had more roofs destroyed by a hail in Denver. Uh, it used to be hail was the size of, of maybe a quarter. Now it's the size of a, of, a, of a baseball. And when you have that type of size hail dropping from the atmosphere, it creates major damage. It goes through roofs. It creates problems. Right. And so hill storm frequency is now becoming a component of rate. All that said, the rates are still relatively respectable. There's pockets, of course, that are higher than other pockets, but the rates are relatively respectable where you can go into areas and you can get a good estimate from the turnkey provider so you know what your rate of return is going to be on that property with an accurate insurance calculation for the premium. Okay. Interesting. Okay, so let's let's talk about some uncommon and strange scenarios where you know you may or may have coverage or may or may not be able to get coverage. Um, one thing that has become more popular here over the last few years is is the growth of Airbnb. And and I I know a number of people who are doing Airbnb rentals. There's a lot more management, moving parts, 
And uh, it's, it's certainly a lot more complex than, you know, your traditional one or two year lease rental. But people are doing it and some of them are making really good money at it. How do you insure a short term rental like an Airbnb? Well, uh, the first thing I'm going to say before I get into some of the perils is uh, Ross Diversified encourages you to go online direct. We, we can hold your hand, but there's really no read for, need for it. There's two major providers. One is proper, P-R-O-P-E-R insurance, and one is, I believe, CBIZ, C-B-I-Z insurance. And uh, short-term rentals are definitely more complicated. I'm going to give you some basic ways that the audience can attach meaning to what I'm going to say. If I have a long-term rental and my tenant mops the floor Mm -hmm. and his kid comes running in and slips on that floor and breaks their head open, they're going to take the kid to the hospital and get the kid sewn up and you're never going to get a phone call. Right. Conversely, if I have an Airbnb rental and the tenant comes and gets the keys from me and the kid comes running through the front door of the tenant and slips on that floor and cracks their head open, I'm now exposed. I'm now going to get sued. I'm a hotel operator. It's no different than if the kid got caught in an escalator going up to the second floor in the Hyatt Hotel. You have to realize you are a hotel. You are no longer a short-term rental homeowner. You have to think very, very differently. If my, you have a front lawn and the kid runs across it and trips on a sprinkler and breaks their leg, they're going to come after you. If you provide bicycles, because maybe it's a nice bicycling community where your Airbnb is located and you provide a couple of bicycles and they go out on the sidewalk and they get hit by a car, you have a liability exposure. I can go on and on. I've seen silly, stupid stuff. You are a great Airbnb host, so you leave a bottle of wine on the counter welcoming your guests, want you to have a great time and be a, a return person and write great reviews for us. And all of a sudden, someone opens that bottle of wine and splits their hand open and requires stitches. They're going to turn around and sue you. You have to think in terms of, I am a hotel. Right. I am not just an owner of a short-term <laughs> rental property. That's just the liability stuff. Now we can talk about uh, property damage of the tenants. Airbnb has guarantees. And as an insurance guy, I have to be honest, that, that word disturbs me. Airbnb is not an insurance company. Airbnb uh, cannot operate as if they're an insurance company. They're simply saying we have someone's credit card we're going to have a deposit and we may come after them for more if they do damage to the property, but that's not an insurance policy. That's simply an Airbnb guarantee. And to get a claim payment out of Airbnb on one of these guarantees is about a 90 to 180 day process. I've heard people use attorneys. I've heard people document everything. Um, there's an answering machine when you call to file a claim on the Airbnb. It's not to take a shot at them. This is this whole thing that we're doing, uh, Marco, is for education. And right. we simply want to create an awareness. When you have a true policy, and again, I'm not self-servicing because I don't offer them. I'm directing the audience where to go, proper and CBIS. When you have a true policy, you're going to file claims for tenant damage. You're going to file claims for 
anything that happens to the property as if it's a homeowner's coverage. You're not going to call Airbnb and say, I need to make a claim on this guarantee that comes with an Airbnb rental. Right. Uh, if someone gets hurt on the property, you truly have a liability insurance policy that you're going to fall back on. The risk that I see a lot of our investors do, and we, we try to educate as best as we can, and I appreciate this opportunity, is they will take our policy and they'll put an Airbnb person in there and every policy has a business activity exclusion. And Airbnb is a business activity. Uh -huh. So now you're gonna try to use something and the insurance company already has an out to deny the claim. These insurance adjusters aren't stupid. And they're going to say, geez, let me let me look on the on Google real quick to see if there's an Airbnb listing for this property address. Oh, there is. Business activity exclusion. We don't have to pay the claim. Plain as day. They never right. told us they were using it as an Airbnb. Uh, since we're on this topic, I'll, I'll, I'll digress real quickly or sidebar, I should say, to marijuana growers. We see a lot of basements now being used to grow marijuana. I was going to ask you that, about that. <laughs> that's a business activity. I'm going to deny your claim if I'm an insurance adjuster because the property has a business activity exclusion. You use the home as a daycare center. You use the home for a rehab. You find all these reasons to use the home and you just don't think, wait, on my insurance, do I still have coverage? I, I'm now using it as, a, as an old age because I have four bedrooms and I have four different beds that I can rent out at a thousand bucks a bed. And is that a business activity? And the answer is yes, that is a business activity. So you have to be very careful on knowing what you're insuring with that short-term rental once you decide to go in that direction. Right. And clearly the returns can be very, very exciting. I know many people that even sublease places so they can turn around and Airbnb it. And uh, I, I think it's a great business model to really fine tune and understand, but know your insurance risk and please purchase. They're expensive because the risk is so high. Please purchase the right coverage. So you're making me think of a scenario called house hacking, which I was talking on a podcast episode a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so what happens when you have a property, you live in one unit, let's say it's a, a duplex or even a fourplex, but you live in part of the house or part of the property and you are renting out the other part of it uh, to Airbnb. Now you have two types of coverage or, or do you need two types of coverage? That same proper or CBIS policy contemplates that. And you would simply, on the application, complete it with that information. One of the units is owner-occupied, a triplex, the other two units are Airbnb. And the policy would be comprehensive enough to cover you as a, a homeowner of the one unit you occupy and you as a uh, hotel operator in the other two units that you're using for Airbnb. Interesting. Okay. All right, so we're talking about uncommon and strange scenarios here. What happens when a tree falls on your roof? Tree falls on the roof if it's on your property and it's your tree that fell on your roof, you're going to be covered. The insurance is going to want to insurance company is going to want to know was the tree dead? The tree was dead, why wasn't it removed? Cuz that becomes owner maintenance. 
you have a dead tree, you knew it was dead and you did nothing about it. So this was an event that is likely to occur and you took no preventative measure to stop it. If it's a live tree and we talk about those wind storms that are now hitting more and more areas of the country more randomly with more force, uh, freak tornadoes, et cetera, yep. and that branch goes flying off of your tree onto your roof, you're covered. You're absolutely covered. The, uh, the, the area of trees gets more uh, muddied, if you will, more unclear when we have what we call acts of God. Acts of God is something that's excluded from the policy, any policy, your own homeowner's policy. And the tree that fell on your roof was from 80 miles away. That was in a tornado or a hurricane and it came flying across the neighborhood and went into your roof. That's an act of God. Will we file the claim? Will we try to force uh, coverage payment? Absolutely we will and we will be your, your best advocate mm -hmm. because it's damaged mm -hmm. to your property and we will argue that it's a wind claim right not just the tree falling on the property but it can be unclear when your tree falls on your neighbor's property you have an overhanging tree on the property line and that tree falls on your neighbor's property if the tree wasn't dead and they never asked you to cut back the tree then they need to file with their own homeowners or their own policy they may come at you we may deny the claim on that type of basis so trees are very uh, confusing. Each scenario has its own set of facts, and it's not cut and uh, it's not cut and dry. What we advocate is trim your trees. Make sure it's not a dead tree, because trees provide shade. They provide beauty. They it's very aesthetically. It makes your home more rentable. We're not saying get rid of all your trees, but what we are saying is maintain them. Don't let the leaves get in the rain gutters. Uh, you know, common sense stuff. Just common sense stuff. If you have over uh, hanging branches, cut them back. If you have a, an addict in the home with glass and your tree is enormous, cut the tree back so you're not creating an exposure for yourself should a branch fall off that tree. That's part of the regular property insurance policy, right? That's covered? Yes. Yeah, okay. Okay, so that's happened to me before and it was covered. Another scenario that happened uh, to me many, many years ago is frozen pipes bursting in the winter. They weren't, the house wasn't winterized. And so I had pipes burst and then, you know, it, it flooded part of the property. It wasn't that bad, but it was bad enough. So that's, that's I assume, covered by your regular policy? It, it is and it isn't. And I'm going to sound like the typical insurance guy. We give it in paragraph two and we take it away in paragraph seven. <laughs> and we're not going to tell you one way or the other. Okay. Uh, the reality is burst pipes on houses that are winterized, meaning the water was turned off and you took all the necessary steps. Maybe you kept the temperature in the house at 72 degrees, or maybe you kept the water dripping, a constant drip, so there's water flowing through those pipes. Uh, yet we have a sudden drop in temperature. The place has only been vacant for a week and everything freezes and the pipe bursts. That type of sudden, and that's the buzzword, that sudden burst is going to be covered. Okay. If you winterize the property, it's going to be covered. But if you don't winterize the property and it's a sub-freezing temperature and the place has been vacant for three months while you're trying to rent it and the pipes burst, then it's not going to be covered in that scenario. Okay. So we look at the time frame. Normally, if the window of time is 30 days or less and the pipe burst, you're going to have coverage. 
if you winterize a property and somehow something freak happened and a pipe burst, you're going to have coverage. If you have running water and you have a property manager signs, yes, all the water's running. I have pictures. Here's with the water dripping through every pipe and one pipe burst somewhere, you're going to have coverage. It's simply when the place is vacant, you're trying to get it rented. No one's been in there for a couple of months and a pipe burst because someone forgot to turn off a particular faucet or they didn't flush the water out before turning off the main water valve, pipe burst, and you would not have coverage in that scenario. Okay, good. Um, another thing that happened to me was a sewer backup. Fortunately, this only happened once, um, but how do, you cover, how do you cover yourself for a sewage backup I think in my scenario, it was not because of anything I did. It was not under my property or on my property. It, it was because of something to do with the city. But needless to say, it backed up and created some, you know, some cleanup and, and I wouldn't say damage, but a mess in, in my property. Well, hopefully you had gloves on before you started the cleanup process. Well, fortunately, I didn't have to clean it up. <laughs> <laughs> good, good call. I'd, I'd hire someone to help me out in that situation yeah. as well. Uh, we do have sewer coverage uh, it, with our policies, first of all, sewer backup. And you identified a few things there. One is if it's a county problem or city problem, that means the problem occurred from something that went from the city to your sewer line at hookup. And that created the backup. Then you're going to have coverage under our program. It's almost easier to describe when you would not have coverage with sewer backup. Uh, I hate to go back to my favorite trees. But this is, this is real, and, and this happens, and there are awkward conversations to have, and we try to educate on the front side as much as we can. When you have a tree, normally you have roots. If those roots break up the sewer line from the sidewalk to the house, and you have a sewer backup because it was your tree roots that broke up that pipe, right. you're not going to have coverage under anyone's policy because that's an owner maintenance maintenance yeah. item. You yeah. have a tree with roots, it's breaking up everything and maybe breaking up the driveway too, for that matter. Maybe breaking up the sidewalks. So you have to know what the situation is relative to the sewer line from the sidewalk or the street to your house and where your trees are on that property. If that causes the sewer backup, you're not gonna have coverage. If you have a tenant that flush something down the toilet that shouldn't have been flushed down the toilet and you have a sewer backup or a plumbing backup for that reason, usually that falls under the deductible. But should that occur and it exceeds the deductible, you're going to have coverage. That's a water damage situation. But sewer in of itself is usually two things. One is the county blew it between their line to your house hookup, which caused your line to back up. Or two, a tree root problem got in there and just tore the, the pipe up because it's a 35-year-old house and those tree roots have been strangling that pipe for a long time. And unfortunately, you just bought the house and now it turns out to be your situation. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. The thing is, you, you have to have regular maintenance on that stuff because you can't see when a root is growing into a pipe or breaking a pipe or, or plugging a pipe uh, under, under the ground. So you just have to have someone come out every once in a while and snake it. Like I don't know if that's every two years or every year, but you have to have Snake it checked. It or, or, a, or a camera. Yeah, know? they scope it. They'll put a scope down there. And I've had yes. that happen. I've had to, uh, you know, uh, I don't know what the tool is, but a, a rotor or something that, you know, they just clean it out. 
Yeah, e- exactly. They scope it. They rotor it. Uh, kind of a colonoscopy for the house. <laughs> Uh, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> There's a marketing <laughs> campaign for you. <laughs> so, okay, Ed, let's wrap up here. Let's talk about one last thing real quick. Uh, talk about rent loss coverage. What is it? How does it work? And how do you get it? Because uh, I know some people, Not fortunately, not a lot of investors obsess over rent loss coverage because they are they have traditional rentals. They'll have a one or two year lease and, you know, tenants many tenants tend to stay for, you know, one to three plus years at a time. Um, but what is it and how does it work? Rental loss coverage uh, can be a little bit confusing. So I'm going to go with the big puzzle pieces. First of all, it has nothing to do with your tenant moving out of the property. The tenant moves out and the place stays vacant. You don't file a claim for rental loss coverage. That's simply vacancy and the insurance companies could care less if the tenant's out for two months or three months while you try to rent your property. Rental loss or loss of rents, or even called business income uh, by some of the carriers, is because something happened to the property that forced the tenant to vacate. A fire, a wind, uh, severe water damage. A tree falling on the roof. A tree falls on the roof. The the county (laughs) backs up your sewer line, so it's a covered peril. And, and I'm glad you said the tree falling on the roof because it has to be a covered peril. It has to be an approved claim that triggered the vacancy of the, of the tenant being forced to move out. Then you file your loss of rents and you have coverage until the property is made habitable again for someone to occupy the premises. Got it. It's that simple. It really is. Nothing to do with unemployment. Nothing to do with uh, uh, tenants moving in and out of the property. Simply damage occurred to the property, forcing the tenant to move, which creates the loss of rents. Okay, so one more question. Uh, why, why do you guys ask for insurance payments when uh, mortgage loans are escrowed? When, when do I'm, you... I'm glad you're bringing that up because I actually wanted to get that in before we wrapped up. Okay. In, in investors, uh, including including us who own property, you get used to that mailbox money terminology. Mm-hmm. And you feel like you can live in the Bahamas and kick your feet up and it's all electrical these days and money in and money out. And so you go into this no think mode and you got a great property manager and you're still in this I don't have to deal with any of this. This is a great investment. It, it's, it's, this just works like clockwork, just like Marco said it would. Oh, this is, this is wonderful stuff. I'm going to get a thousand of these things. Lenders who escrow, or I should say investors who allow their insurance premiums to be escrowed with their payment so they don't have to think about it, assume that all these lenders are really good at what they do. And that's a misnomer. And it's, uh, again, I'm so glad you brought it up because it creates friction with the insurance company. It creates friction with the insurance agent like myself. It creates awkward conversations because investors get cancellation notices. So real scenario, December 1, your premium is due. What does the insurance company do? 45 days ago, they sent out a renewal notice with a bill to your investor saying, pay this impound or escrowed money to renew the policy. Doesn't come in. 10 days, they send another letter out to that lender saying, pay your insurance premium or we're going to have to cancel the policy. 
you may get notified as a borrower. We mm. try to email all of our uh, borrowers, excuse me, you may get, uh, we email all of our investors who are borrowers. Hey, the insurance wasn't paid. And they're saying, well, call my lender. Well, I'm an agent. I don't know your loan number. I don't know your social security number. We all know security these days. They're gonna ask me 15 questions to make sure that I'm you in order to talk to me about your loan. So in other words, they're not gonna talk to me. So now you, the investor, have to call the lender yourself. And you're saying, gee, shit, I thought you'd handle this for me. And you're gonna have to say, Mr. Lender, why, did, why didn't you pay my bill? And they're gonna go, oh, 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 and they're gonna create all sorts of reasons and all sorts of excuses. And you're gonna have to squeak loud, or you may even have to pay the premium to keep your policy from being canceled and then get reimbursed from your lender. It is a mess. It, it can be a real mess and the conversations can be very awkward. Uh, and there's another half to it where the investor has to get more proactive. If you change lenders and you don't tell your agent and you don't tell the insurance company, how are we to know to bill somebody other than who we have when you first close the loan is our billing party. We need to know where that bill should be sent to. Many investors, don't pay attention to that. The servicer changes. I, I took out my loan with ABC mortgage and then we all know that these loans get swapped and traded and everything else. And now I make my payments to XYZ lender, but they forget to tell us. So the servicer has changed. We send out a bill to ABC lender who could care less. They don't have the loan on their books anymore. XYZ is sitting over here waiting for a bill because they have the escrow, they have the money in the escrow account and we're sending out a cancellation notice because we didn't get payment. So it's a very necessary component of investor maintenance on the insurance piece. And it, it can be a very frustrating process and we don't wanna be the irritant. We're, we're simply the messengers, so don't shoot us. But right. if your policy is gonna cancel, we're gonna tell you why. And we have chemical bank, Chase, and I'm going to be very careful because I don't want anyone coming after me on, on libel, but let's just say the lending community as a whole is not perfect. No. And there are many times where they will send in premiums 45 to 90 days after the fact. And the insurance carrier has already canceled the policy and returns the money back to that lender. So, so is the solution... Is the solution just to put a reminder in your calendar to check with your mortgage lender to make sure that they actually paid the policy from your escrow? Absolutely. We advocate that uh, to the nth degree. It, it is such a wonderful proactive measure. Yeah. And not to wait till the cancellation of the policy, because by that time it may be too late. Right. But right. to do it literally 30 days <clears throat> in advance of that policy expiration did you get the bill? Did you pay my insurance carrier the premium? That proactiveness will go a long way in eliminating a lot of aggravation. Right. Okay. Cool. So let's wrap up, Ed. You, you, your company is a nationwide, essentially nationwide insurance provider. Um, yes. You have uh, a, a, an insurance program. I don't know what you call it, but essentially it's a nationwide insurance program. Just Explain to us quickly here how that works. Thank you. We have a wonderful program. It's written through Lloyd's of London, A-rated, class 15, the largest insurance category you can get rated by best. And it's designed for investors, usually with one or two or multiple portfolios, 
that where your property isn't just down the street from where you live. And what do I mean by that? If I'm a homeowner in, in, in a certain zip code and I own a rental property in that certain zip code, let me call my Allstate agent or my State Farm agent and just insure it along with my homeowner's policy. Easiest thing to do. And if they take it on their books, it makes your life less complicated. However, if I'm an investor and I own, <coughs> excuse me, two properties in Atlanta, and I own one property in North Carolina, and I own another property in Memphis, and one in Ohio, or, or I simply own out of my immediate zip code. I want a program where I can call one guy, one agency, Ross Diversified Insurance, and say, Ed, I just bought this rental property. I want to get a policy for it. We're going to ask you three questions. Is the electrical on circuit breakers 99.999 today percent? All the homes are on circuit breakers. Fuse boxes are all but obsolete. We don't care if it's a new roof or if the plumbing is old, but we do tell you if the roof is old, we're going to pay that, that actual cash value in the event of a claim. But if the turnkey provider put on a new roof or modified the roof or replaced the shingles, it's all we need to know. You get replacement cost coverage for it. And how's the plumbing? Did you buy one of those 1930 garden homes in Chicago that everything leaks all the time and the plumbing hasn't been addressed? Or has the plumbing at least been touched since 1980 or 1970? You know, plumbing 50 years or older is prone to leak. Yeah. So we <clears throat> ask those three questions and then we issue a policy. We work with closing agents all over the country. We work with many of the lenders that are in this lending space. They know who we are. We know who they are. We give them the evidences of insurance. The rates are extremely competitive. We probably work with over 100 turnkey providers all over the country. They know what our premiums are going in. So when they give you the calculation for that yep. rate of return, it's accurate. Yep. It's, it's, not a, it's, it's not a low ball number. You're getting a very accurate number that fits with the projections of what you're getting. Yep. We're very hands-on. Um, we have a fine staff here and we use our cell phones and we get everybody very comfortable with the process and our rates are truly competitive excellent cool well ed that is um good to know we've covered a lot of ground here um i think this will and, be and very our phone number marco is 1-800-210-7677 that's 1-800-210-7677 yep no i appreciate that i was going to actually get you to close with uh with your contact info so you beat me to the punch but that's great <laughs> Well, that's good. So thanks for all the, the valuable information. I know this is going to be helpful for many, many people, and we will get this posted soon. I appreciate you coming back on, Ed. This is always, uh, you know, um, educational and enlightening to hear. So, uh, and, I, and insurance is so important. People really need it. It's not, it's not an, an option. It's something you have to have. Well, we appreciate this opportunity. And, and one more point of contact, if you Google Ross Diversified Insurance, our website, Ross Div, D-I-V, Dot com will pop up where we have a lot more information and a lot more contacts of, of how to make the process as easy and painless as we can. And, and our phone number, Marco, is 1-800-210-7677. Yeah, we'll put all that in the show notes. It'll be easy for people just to look in the show notes, click and, and click or call. So we're all good. Well, good. Ed, have a Merry Christmas. Thanks for coming back on. Hey, thank you for this opportunity, and uh, to all the listeners out there, have a very happy holiday. Excellent. So there you have it. Don't neglect insurance. It's important to have it. 
from property insurance to liability insurance, even umbrella coverages to that backstop the policies you have. Don't neglect it. Don't be cheap. It's part of your investing. It's part of your real estate business. And it's something that is a very low cost for the benefit it could and can provide you. That's it. So if you have not downloaded the free report, The Ultimate Guide to Passive Real Estate Investing, it is chock full of great information. It is a fantastic primer. You can download that on both of our websites. I'm sure you know what they are, but if you don't, just go to PassiveRealEstateInvesting.com. If you are looking to invest or thinking about it and you want to have a conversation for free with one of our investment counselors, head on over to our website and just request a free strategy session. Do you have a question about real estate investing? I get a lot of questions submitted to me. Just click on the Ask Marco button at the top of the website, submit your question. I'll do my best to get back to you in a timely manner. I do handpick many of them to uh, do a podcast episode called Ask Marco, and I enjoy answering your questions. And if you haven't already, please remember to hit that subscribe link or button on your podcast player. Uh, that way you're notified each and every week of the new episodes. And lastly, help us spread the word. Please visit iTunes or Google Play. Leave us a rating and review. And uh, we will greatly appreciate it if you do. So thanks for listening. And we will see you on the next episode. Are you on track to achieve your financial goals? Income-producing real estate is the most historically proven way to accumulate wealth and has created more financial freedom than any other means. Norada Real Estate provides everything you need to invest in the best turnkey cash flow rental properties. Our simple proven system will help you create real wealth and passive monthly income. Get your free strategy session with our knowledgeable investment counselors at noradarealestate.com. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com. Nothing on this show should be considered specific personal or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate legal, tax, real estate, or business professional for individualized advice. For distribution or publication rights and media interviews, please contact the host.